Hey, take your Bibles. If you have a copy of God's Word, you brought it with you, I appreciate that. Matthew chapter 6 is where I'd like for you to find this morning. Matthew chapter 6. Let me reposition here just a little bit. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 19. If you're visiting with us, it's a great day to visit with us. We're doing things a little bit differently today. Today is Victory Sunday, and what that basically means for us is this. We're going to eat in a few minutes. Now, y'all are going to eat in a few minutes anyway, right? But uh, we're going to eat together in just a few minutes, and so we invite you, visitors, uh, family members, everybody, we invite you to, to uh, stay with us for lunch. I apologize. I need to get this to the right height, or else I'll fidget with it the entire time, all right? Matthew chapter 6, we're doing Victory Sunday today. Sometimes I try to uh, intentionally plan out the sermons that I preach, the texts that I'm preaching through. I like to have a preaching calendar for you folks. And sometimes God just kind of orchestrates things through as he leads me in that planning of the calendar to, to preach on some things that are really, really just happening today in the church. And so with Victory Sunday, the main thing that we gather together to do, is, uh, what, what makes today special for us, is that as you give your offering today, then we have the unique opportunity that all of the money that you give in your offering goes directly towards our building fund, our building account. And so this facility that you're in right now, you're actually taking a great step towards paying for that and paying that debt off that we have accumulated. And uh, we just rejoice in that opportunity, first to have this facility, but most of all, we're going to rejoice to have this facility paid off. Amen. That's going to be a great day for us. And thank you so much for being a part of that. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, we are in the Sermon on the Mount. It is Jesus' collection of uh, the things that he taught and the things that he preached. There are some who say this is one sermon and that he just preached the whole thing just like a, you would read it from start to finish. Others say that with the gospel accounts, this is actually a collection of all of Jesus' sermons, just bits and pieces of his sermons that he preached. Uh, if he's preaching this, just sitting down preaching it from start to finish, my thinking is this, man, it's hard to follow him because he's got a lot of things that he's just kind of saying and he's over here and he's over here. And so I kind of look at it personally as this is a collection of Jesus' sermons. We don't want to miss the message. We're talking about being part of the kingdom of God. And what that means for us very simply is this, is that Jesus, when I put my faith in him, he does more than just save me from hell. Now, that's an important thing. Now, I, I, I like being saved from hell. Don't get me wrong. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, it's a package deal. So he definitely, past tense, he saves us by the shedding of his perfect blood, by his sacrifice. Jesus saves us. And when he goes to the cross, he dies a perfect death. But more importantly, if you will, he even arises from death the third day. All of these things, by the way, these are past tense things, right? Stuff that's happened, and it's happened in our lives. If we put our faith in that, it's a completed work. It's done. But the thing that we want to really focus on in the Sermon on the Mount is this idea that what you sang so wonderfully about, and praise team did a great job leading us this morning, what we sang about this morning is that he's still alive. And as he is living, he is living inside of us as his kingdom servants. He is dwelling inside of us. He is changing us, transforming us. Now, that sometimes is painful. Can you give a testimony? That sometimes is hard for us. The things that he begins to be king over are sometimes things that I want to be king over. The things that he wants to control in my life 
are things that honestly I would like to control in my life. But if he's going to be my king, if I'm going to live for him, then I have to get out of the way. I have to get out of the way. And I, can I share my testimony, I struggle to get out of the way. I mean, it's hard for me to get out of the way and say, God, you drive. So as we get into Matthew chapter 6, we're going to continue to see this message come up. And, and what I want to really do today is give you something maybe, maybe a little more uh, catchy, if you will. I try not to be catchy a lot because I really butcher it when I, when I try. But I'd like to give you something that will maybe help you, that would equip you as you see this text, Matthew 6, 19 through 34. But you see as you go through this, this week, this immediate week in front of you, you're going to deal with what Jesus talks about in Matthew 6. I'm going to deal with it. He talks about these two things that often distract us. One is our stuff. I have stuff, and my stuff often distracts me from letting Jesus be king fully and completely in my life because I want to be king over my stuff. My stuff, we talk about usually as uh, what I grew up on Southern Baptist Church, we talk about three T's. This isn't in your notes, but you're welcome to jot this down if you've not heard this before. It might help you. But the stuff that I have comes in three packages. It comes in my time, my time, my talent, the abilities that God's given me, and my treasure, my possessions, my, my money, things like that. So I ask you, as we talk about stuff today, I want to ask you to just real quick make a list with me. You ready? It's going to in your mind, don't, don't write it down. I want you to do it mentally. You ready? I want you to make two columns, and we're going to make a list. All right? On the left-hand column, in your mind, I want you to make a list here. If I were to give you a million dollars, what kind of blessing would that be? In other words, what would you do with a million dollars? How would it bless you? All right? Everybody working through the list? Some of y'all are... Turn the frown upside down, man. It just brightened up your face right there. That was wonderful. Million dollars, all right? So you've got how that would bless you, right? What would you do with a million dollars? Somebody shout out an answer. What's that now? Mortgage. Pay the mortgage. Mortgages, perhaps. What's that now? Pay off the church. All right? Come forward, young soul. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Hallelujah. Right? Million dollars. Cheesecake is someplace on my list. I've got to share that with you. There's going to be a lot of cheesecake. A lot of cheesecake, all right? I know that. Going to be a lot of, a lot of you know, debt's going to be paid off, right? All these things. I'm going to do a lot, a lot of things that are responsible things. That's what I want to say in church. I'm going to have some fun with it. Clint, would you have fun with a million dollars? You'd find some way, at least 50 cents, he says. Some of that money's going to go toward just fun, right? And so a million dollars, we can think, how many of you came up with at least five things? Come on, five things that you came up with? I came up with five, ten, fifty things that I could do with a million dollars. And it would bless me to have a million dollars. Now on the other side, in your mind, the other column, I want you to do this for me. If I were to give you a million dollars, what kind of burden would that be? Would that be a burden to you? How would a million dollars possibly just... Free and clear, million bucks, how would that possibly be a burden? Would it be a burden? Somebody tell me. Who's got an idea of how it would be a burden? Taxes. <laughs> you got taxes right there. You got to do that. What else? Your children are a burden. That's all I heard. Your children are. Okay. All right. Yes. Miss Linda says we would meet some relatives that we didn't know we had, perhaps. Right? 
And all of them would be interested in the million dollars, yes? Do you see that with our stuff, it's a package deal on just about everything, my time, my talent, my treasure, everything that God has given me is a blessing. It's a definitely, you're going to quote the scripture from James, it tells me it is a good gift that God has given me because he gives good gifts. And I get that, and I don't want to downplay that, do you? It's a blessing, the things God's given me. But also, with the things God's given me, it's also a burden. You ever feel like you have enough time or you need more time? You ever feel like you have enough stuff, you have enough money for everything, or you might could use a little bit more, right? And so we see today, we want to look at our stuff and how Jesus says to handle our stuff. Because here's the thing, with the burden and the blessing, the hinge that that comes on, we want to see Jesus talk about how to deal with our stuff, but also Jesus is going to address my favorite here. He's going to talk about how to deal with stress. And ironically, I think the two are hinged together because of that very BB purpose is that the stuff that I have is both a burden and a blessing, and sometimes it's causing me stress in my life, which keeps me from becoming productive, effective, like God wants me to be. Let's look at it in Scripture, if you will. Uh, I'm going to basically spell these things out, and I'm going to use an acrostic this morning for stuff. Let's start with that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, we're going to learn five simple principles about the stuff that we have. The scripture says this, the first verse of 619, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, rather, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Do you hear that? That's the, the blessing that we have, but it's also the burden that's wrapped up with it. With the stuff that I have, if I'm just looking at what Jesus says, he always tells us this, S for us is stewardship. Everything that I have, my time, my talent, my treasures, it's something that he has given me that now I have to be responsible for. And what we want to clarify is this, is that I have absolutely ownership of nothing. There is nothing that I have. There is nothing that I have created or originated on my own, my own power, my own strength, my own ability, that I made for myself. But instead, the Scripture would teach us rightly that we would keep stuff in perspective when we say, hey, I'm a steward of this. That biblical word steward means very simply, I'm a manager. I'm a manager. The things that God has given me are things that he gave me and he wants me to manage them. So when he has given me something, I'm supposed to take it and I take it to my king and I say, okay, not sure if you proportion this outright, Jesus, but you gave me this day. You gave me this car. You gave me this house. You gave me this family. All of these are things that are gifts from God. And now I'm supposed to manage them. There's a, a very, very thin line there. Do you see it? Between being a manager of something and being an owner of it. When I own it, I can abuse it. When I own it, I can waste it. But Jesus cautions here and he says very simply for us, we're supposed to be people who take care of the things here on earth. 
here's one of the things that we want to make sure that we recognize as well, is not only are we stewards of it, but the reason we're stewards is because T, all of these things are temporary. All of these things are temporary. My, uh, my father-in-law, I love how practical my father-in-law is because we were looking at uh, purchasing a vehicle recently. And his advice, first thing out of his mouth to us was, well, you know, it depreciates in value the second you drive it off the lot. Thank you. That was encouraging, right? And actually it's true. We understand that everything that we have, even we would say the seconds that we have, we understand they're constantly moving, right? You ever feel that way? It's moving. Time is slipping away from us. Time is moving constantly. It's not here to last forever. But John would write in 1 John, he says, the world and the desires of this world are passing away. All of these things that we own, or we try to own, that we're actually just managers of, they're wasting away constantly. And so it will help us. We're going to talk about stress in a second. But it will help us if we recognize that we're not owners and the things that we're managers of are things that are constantly moving and, if you will, deteriorating. You say, well, how does that help me? When you're trying to keep something, you're investing a great deal of energy, a great deal of power, a great deal of control. And you're trying to make something last that was never intended to last. So Jesus talks about our stuff. He says, be a good steward and recognize that the things that you have are temporary. But I want you to see verses 20 and 21. Join with me there. He says this, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How do I do that? How do I do that? I know how to have things here, even though they're temporary. I know how to manage things here. I know how to purchase things here. I don't know how to lay up for myself treasures in heaven. Verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, so that you is the understructure for us. And this is a phenomenal truth from Scripture that has transformed my life. The things that God has given me that now I'm going to be a manager of that are deteriorating, that I have just for a short period of time, they serve a purpose. The purpose is that they would be a foundation underneath what I'm supposed to be doing. So when I think about this concept, and I want to invite you to think about this, if I am storing up something eternally, I need to see what things in this life that I've been given, what things will actually last forever. I know that my house won't last. I know that my work won't last. I know that my vehicle won't last. I know that my food in my refrigerator, not even sure it's there now, it's moving out quickly, right? So if we think about being kingdom people and we're going to invest in eternal things, then we have to think about what God has revealed to us, what will be in eternity. So the number one thing that comes to my mind as I study scripture is that the number one thing that we see that is in eternity are relationships. You see, I believe this, this truth about eternal heaven. And the way that you get to eternal heaven is that you put your faith in a real sacrifice of a real man, Jesus Christ. And as Jesus Christ, you put your faith in him, then you are sealed by the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. So now that I have eternal life, I know that. 
Now God's placed me here and he says, I want you to have relationships with other people, not so that you would be entertained, not so that you would be occupied, but you have relationships with other people as a member of God's kingdom so that you can tell them about the kingdom of God. That you could share with them this horrifying and very real truth. This morning, every person, no matter how good, nice, kind, attractive, or impressive you might find them to be, every person that you know that does not put a personal faith, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, they will perish for eternity. You say, well, I don't approve of that. You're not the one setting the standard, so your approval really doesn't matter. It is God's standard who says, every person that you know that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a faith-saving relationship, they will perish. And they will spend the rest of eternity, ain't no coming back, y'all, in hell. Now, with that thought, if relationships are eternal, and then I've been given the gift of knowing people, then the reason that God has me knowing people, relationally, being in a relationship with people, is so that I might be used by God in some way. I don't know how he'd use me but that I might be used by God in some way to show them this truth, you need Jesus. And you will perish eternally apart from knowing Jesus. You say, well, I thought we were talking about stuff. So what God does in our lives is He gives us a certain portion of time. It is non-negotiable how much time He gives us. He gives us time to manage it he gives us time that's constantly moving, it's temporary, but he gives us this time because when you're here, you're supposed to be focused in on kingdom principle number one, relationships are eternal. And as you're focused in on that, God then is going to bless your life, and he's going to bless you with things like a car or cars, or he's going to bless you maybe with a house, I would hope. He's going to bless you with things that are going to be clothes to wear he's going to bless you with a job that you can have where you build what relationships so get it everything then that god has given me is a understructure for my main purpose of building relationships so we speak very practically about some things and this is where like, eh, let me curl up my toes here for a second i believe in lake houses i've seen them they're real never seen a unicorn i've seen a lake house and you say, well, pastor, get on these people with the lake houses. People with lake houses, here we go. You ready? If God has given you the opportunity to have that, use that as an understructure for kingdom principles and kingdom purposes. Use it to build eternal relationships. Don't use it just for yourself, but use it. Bless someone with it. Invite someone, especially your family, and pour into your family there so that eternal relationships are established, not based on what you might do there, but who you represent there, which is Jesus Christ. You say, well, I've got this, this vehicle, and it's, it's just not a great vehicle, but it's an okay vehicle. That vehicle is a gift from God for you. 
And he uses that as an understructure for you to say this. You are to manage that vehicle appropriately to honor God. And as you manage it, use it. And if God leads you in a way where you could use that in order to build relationships with someone else, then use it. One of the things that happened recently for me, and the Lord challenges you. Hey, listen, what I'm talking about, you say, well, you make it sound easy. The Lord challenges us in our stuff. If you've not experienced that, he challenges us in our stuff to think biblically about it. So when we moved to our house. We, uh, we moved last September, actually. actually as we moved into our house. Uh, one of the things that we negotiated for was the zero-turn riding lawnmower. Yeah, I got a zero-turn riding lawnmower because I had a push mower. You know what that is? Yeah, yeah, there's a difference. And the Lord worked it out, and he blessed us where we were able to negotiate as part of the purchase of our house, purchase this zero-turn mower, right? And I try to be a good steward of that, which means I try to care for my yard, I try to care for my mower, I try to do the things that God would want me to do that would honor him. And I don't want to do that just for my glory. I want to do it for his. You say, how does that work? So my neighbor, two doors down, comes to my house the other day and knocks on my door. And he says, hey, I'll have a question for you. And I said, anything except for my zero-turn lawnmower. And he says, can I borrow your zero-turn lawnmower? And, and the Lord just guarded my mouth because my heart, I know, said no. I know, you can't. You don't know how to drive it. You don't know how to treat her. That's how I would rec- refer to it, right? And I saw here, I mean, here's the idea. God gave me something that I can use appropriately at the right time, the right setting for the right purposes. I want to use it to build a relationship with my neighbor. And so it's a challenge for us here that our stuff is stuff that serves a purpose. Yeah? Everything that you have. Everything that you have, you've been given. And as you've been given everything that you've been given, it serves a purpose. What is that purpose? It's an understructure that should build on eternal things. If at any point, you say, well, how do I know if I'm doing this right? If at any point, the stuff that you have is not available for God's purposes, you've distorted it. You've distorted it. So you say, how am I using the understructure, the things that God has given me? Now check this, verse 22, the scripture says, uh, a confusing passage, I think. I found this confusing. I, every, every time I read this, I'm like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Uh, or did, or did you, are you chasing a rabbit? What's happening? Verse 22, Jesus says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. Okay? So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. What in the world is Jesus talking about? He's talking about our eye is basically how we possess things, how we see things, how we view things, how we even claim things. And he says that when our F, here's our F letter, our focus is on dark things, doing things that are not kingdom oriented, using stuff for not kingdom purposes, using stuff for just selfish purposes. When our focus is on darkness, 
then we will become people who are serving the darkness. We'll become people who are not filled with light. We'll become people who are not serving the purposes of light. So that's, I find that's, those two verses are not just kind of stuck in there. Jesus says, <laughs> figure this one out. But Jesus instead, he's saying here, what is your eye on? I mean, it's a great kingdom question for us for evaluation. What is my eye on? Is it on the things of God? The things that represent light in this world? Can I take the stuff, my time, my talent, my treasures, and can I focus them on doing God's work with them? That's our focus. Then he gets to verse 24, which we're all very familiar with. It says this, no one can serve two masters. No one. I mean, he doesn't even give options there. He says no one can serve two masters. Here's why. For either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. That principle is true for every two masters you will encounter. It's true for every, every two masters. And it, it, here's what he finishes. He, he just really just makes it practical for us. You cannot serve God and money. Or perhaps your Bible says mammon, which is a more general word for stuff. He says you can't serve both of them. So that last F that I want to ask you to think about is this, is this, this word forsake. And here's the thing that, uh, where we get into some real kingdom. You ready? You know you're a manager if when the owner asks for it, you give it to him easily. You, you know that you are using your stuff correctly when the owner shows up, when God shows up in your life and says, hey, I want you to use that for my purpose. Go and do this. You say, no, no, I won't. It's my time. Leave me alone, God. Then we know that we have distorted stuff. No, no, God, this is, this is my baby. This is, this is my sweetheart. I'm gonna, this is just for me. I won't share this with anyone else. I won't, I won't use this for gospel purposes, God then we know that our stuff has become our master. And hear very clearly what the Scripture says. You're going to love your master. And you're only going to have one. You see, um, we have uh, at school, we still do those, uh, what we used to call cubby holes. You know what cubby holes are, right? A lot of boxes that are segmented. And our biggest challenge as kingdom believers, as people who want Jesus to be our king, I want to fit, in fact, I try to cram Jesus in certain cubby holes of my life. Say, so you can rule this, and you can rule this one up here, this area. You can have control of this. But now, there's some of these cubbies that are mine. And Jesus, I don't want you in that space. Jesus says you cannot have two masters and love them both. Can't. You're going to love your master and you're going to hate opposition. You're going to love your master and you're going to hate opposition. And we can't flip-flop here and say, well, sometimes my master is this and sometimes my master is my stuff and sometimes my master is my Lord. No, no, no. Our hearts make a declaration. This is my master. This is my master. How do we find out who's mastering us? Here we go. Time. Talent. Treasure. You ready? Time. This week, you spent the majority of your time doing what? 
be aware that that's in competition. There's a race going on, and whatever you spend your most time doing, that's in the race to be your master. There's talent. There's your ability. How have you expelled your energy this week? What have you pursued? What have you devoted yourself to? What have you invested yourself in? Whatever that is, that is in the race to compete for lordship of your life. And that last one is treasures, that checkbook, is that money, that income, and really maybe it's the outtake, is the how we're spending our money. Whatever we're spending the most of our money on, whatever we're spending a, a good portion of our money on, that's definitely something we need to identify. Hey, this is in the race of my life. I want to see Jesus high and exalted, lifted up in my life. Is that something that we would say Sunday? Or is that something we would say with our heart each and every day? So our stuff, and you see, it's not easy to deal with stuff in a kingdom way. And this produces inside of us, I think Jesus knows, I think there's a link here, there's stress. Let me walk you through kingdom stress. All right? I love what Jesus says, brace yourself for this. Therefore I tell you, verse 25, do not be anxious about your life. You ever have that happen to you where you're stressing it, right? You can see my fingers right now and see that they are down to the nub. I bite my nails like crazy, have for years. And I love it when people come up to me and see me and I'm stressing and Got this, you know, apparently this crazy look on my face. And, and they say, hey, don't worry about it. Appreciate that. You do one of these two? Because it means about the same, right? Jesus says this. He says, hey, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Have you ever thought about that question? I love it when Jesus asks questions, when the, when the uh, omniscient Son of God asks questions. I love it, right? Hey, I know everything. Let me ask you a question. Why does he ask this question? I want to ask you to think about this. We're going to spell out stress real quick. Here's how it happens. S is for significance. And one of the things that I have to practice to remember because the world crowds this out in my thinking, Satan tries to fill my mind with other lies instead of truth. Here's the truth Jesus gives us. My life is significant. My life is significant to God. Hear this. Your life is significant to God. Now, to clarify theologically, make sure we're on the same page. That doesn't mean that he is dependent on you in order for him to succeed or in order for him to be God. It's not what we're saying. But we do understand that your life is significant to God, which means this. God is investing in me being alive. Can you think about that with me for a second? Can you think about what he's doing right now in your life? At this very moment, God is investing in your life. God finds you significant enough to give you breath. God finds you significant enough to give you life. God finds you significant enough to give you enough health to get up and get dressed and actually go someplace this morning. You know that if we were to really think about it, God has made this happen for you. He finds me significant enough that he says, I want you to function. 
And, and I would say this, if he wants me to function, if I'm significant enough that he wants me to function and he's in control over everything, right, you ready for this? Here we go. Then that means when he is done with me, he will bring me home to him. Boom. So until then, I am significant enough to God where he's going to continue to pour things into my life and provide things in my life so that I would continue to function as he wants me to function, that I would continue to be healthy as long as he wants me to be healthy, that I would continue to have provision as long as he wants me to have provision because I'm significant to my God. Can you say that to yourself this morning and understand that to be true? You are significant to God. There is nothing that's going on in my life or in your life that he has lost control over. There is no oops with God. There is no time when God says, man, I didn't see that coming. Golly. You telling me that didn't work out? Oh, I was really rooting for that one. No, God says, I've placed you where you are. I provide for you so that you can exist where you are. So I've got this. Your significance. You say, hey, well, God's in control. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. But I need to think about why he's in control. I need to think about what he's doing in control. My God loves me. Does your God love you? God loves me. And he says, I want to use you for my glory. I want to see me work in your life. I am orchestrating events in your life so that I will be glorified. Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. Why, Jesus? Why shouldn't I worry about what I should eat or what I should drink? Why shouldn't I worry about my body? What I'm going to wear? Why shouldn't I worry about these things? Because my life is more than these things. My life to God is important, it's significant, and He is using me. So He's going to continue to take care of the things that He takes care of. Do you trust Him? I mean, this is where it comes to. It's not about if we're changing Him. It's not about if we're adapting Him. It's about if we trust Him. He goes on, says verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lily of the fields, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was more arrayed like one of these. Here's what he gives us. He gives us that tea. He gives us testimony. He says, look around you at what God does. Be reminded about what God does. You feel yourself being stressed? Here's the thing that I have to force myself mentally to come back to with his help, with his leading. I come back and I say, let me make a list of the times God failed me. Let me make a list real quick of the times. When I was studying for a test, and I studied for the test, and God just failed me in my preparation for that test. Let me make a list of the times when I needed something and I would not survive without it and God just dropped the ball and now I'm dead. Let me make a list of when that happened. You see, he tells us there is testimony in your life and surrounding your life about the goodness of God. It should settle us on him. Settle us on him. Do you see, church, how we're blessed? Do you see, church, at the truth, the story of God continuously, repeatedly being unveiled over and over? He is faithful, He is faithful, He is faithful. Verse 27 helps me out. This gets us to the R. It says this, 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your lifespan? That's the result of stress. The result of stress, when I'm stressed, I change nothing. When I'm stressed, I change nothing. Right? I'm really worried about this doctor's appointment. I've never said that to a doctor and said, oh, well, we, we got you. <laughs> we were just messing with you. No, the doctor's appointment still takes place. God's still on the throne. So the result of stress is that anxiety is just completely unproductive. Verse 29, yet I tell you, even Solomon, all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more? And church, if you would underline that in Scripture and see this, I love it when the Scripture, when Jesus specifically says, much more. Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. The Scripture says this endowment is E. What kind of ability does God have to bless me? I'm not asking you if he's going to pour out, you know, Rolls Royces, stacked on top of Rolls Royces. I'm not asking you that stuff because that's not kingdom principle. I'm asking you this, does God have the ability to bless you? If he wanted to, for his glory, for his kingdom, if he wanted to pour out his abundance on you, does he have enough abundance for you? Scripture says that he takes care of the testimony around us and then tells us, I want to do more in your life. Verse 31, we're moving to the end. Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious. There he is again, saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He's sensitive. He's sensitive to me. I love what we saw last week. There's nothing I tell God in prayer that God doesn't say. I knew that. There's no need that I take to my God where I say I need this, where he doesn't say, I got that, I know that, I'm aware. So he tells us, I know what you need, and I have abundant supply. Then we get to verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, the promise from Scripture, when we are seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, then all these things that we have, all these things that we need, all these things that we desire, all these things, in some kind of miraculous way, it's when our priority is on seeking God, that's when we find the reward of God's provision. It's not vice versa, flip-flop. I pursue things of the world and then God catches up. No. When we seek His kingdom first, I'm desiring God to be glorified in my life. That's seeking His kingdom first. I'm using my time for his glory. It's his. He can have it. He uses it how he leads me. I'm using my treasure. I'm using my talent. It's all yours, God. I give it all to you. I surrender it all to you, God. Then there's sufficiency. The last one, God provides for us. It says, verse 34, do not be anxious. That's about the sixth time I think he said it. About tomorrow. Why? Because God's sufficient. It says, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We have enough stuff that's causing enough stress in our life that our solution can only be not, I think, getting rid of all the stuff. I, I'm not an advocate for that. Not putting a curse on all the stuff that we have. No, I'm, 
I'm not an advocate for that from Scripture. I think the issue is kingship. When I'm stressed, it's because my king, I'm, I'm not focusing in that he's the king. When I'm stressed, I'm not focusing in on who he is as king, but instead, I've been distracted by other things. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, as we come to you, Lord, we, we see your teaching, and I want to say, wow, it's so easy. We've got a neat acrostic there, and so now it's fixed. But God, I know that's not what's happening in our lives. Uh, we are having a continuous, ongoing battle that we usually call rationalization. This morning, God, we're wrestling. Many of us, I feel, in the room, we're wrestling between letting you be master or something else be master. And we rationalize, we tell ourselves, well, it's not that bad, well, I'm not that addicted, well, it's not that, got that much control, well, I can give it up at any point. God, I pray that you would call us. You would call us into a deeper, deeper level of relationship with you. That you would call us, God, to give up anything in our lives, to remove anything in our lives that's keeping us from making you our God, our King, the one who reigns over us, the one who guides us, the one who provides for us, the one who cares for us, the one who loves us. God, anything that's convinced us that it can compete with your goodness, with your benevolence, is lying to us, God. Break us free from the bondage to stuff and to stress. God, we need this each day as we strive to live for you. Help us, God. Help us, God. This morning as the praise band sings, we invite you to respond. If there's something in your life and you say, hey, it's got to go, but I can't let go of it. Please don't bring it to me. I'd love to help you. I'd love to pray with you. Would you bring it to God? Would you bring it to your king and confess it and say, here's your competitor to God. Remove this. Let me break free. As we worship, you respond as God leads you.